just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guys Show podcast. Today's guest is Dave Camarillo. He's the owner of Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu. He's a feared competitor, inspiring coach, and an all-round awesome guy. In this interview, we discuss martial arts and how they can make you fight your demons and win the life you truly want. But first, a quick word about our affiliates. We have some awesome deals and special offers available to our lovely listeners. To see them, please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. That's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. I'm currently loving the Tools of Titans book from Tim Ferriss. It gives you a breakdown of what makes some super successful people so good. The Natural by Aris D. Max. That helps you get great with women and lets the real you come out. And the Gorgeous Whey Protein from the Protein Works, which I'm now using after every gym session. If you also want to learn to be a great in the gym, you should check out The Lifting Lyceum by Greg Nichols and Omar Usuf. All the links and more from this interview are available on nextlevelguy.com forward slash 27. Remember to leave your comments and feedback there too. And now, let's get to the interview with Dave. I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for doing this, David. I really, uh, really appreciate it. But for those who don't know who you are, could you just give a little bit about who you are and your background? Yeah, so I've been doing martial arts since I was five. My father was my instructor, so I kind of grew up and was groomed to be a, a martial artist. First martial art I, I started was judo at the age of five. got my black belt, I think, around 18 years old or 17 years old. And then I started jiu-jitsu at 19, so I was doing both at the same time. This is Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, with Ralph Gracie. I got my black belt, I think, when I was about 27. Uh, competed kind of back and forth. So I'd go to San Jose State Judo Club and then go to Ralph Gracie's at the, at the evenings, kind of doing a double header. So I was training both at the same time. And then I uh, got a job at AKA. did that for about eight years and trained fighters. And now I have my own academies that, uh, that, that are called Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu in which I focus on both sport and self-defense and that's something i was very interested in was the you know the hybrid martial arts and i noticed that you have such a loyal fan base um from researching i noticed you're known as something of a a, a revolutionary in terms of you know you combined the judo and the brazilian jiu-jitsu which hadn't been done before um so what did that sort of teach you about combining the sports you know was there a reason that you switched between them well, I think first and foremost, I don't consider myself a judoka. I don't consider myself a jujitsu, you know, guy I, or an MMA guy. I've I've studied so many different arts that I, I just consider it all fighting. Um, so we have a saying that fighting is one art, and it what you what you do for development is a little bit different than what I call your A game. So my A game is fighting. Um, if we're under grappling rules, then I'm a grappler. I'm not a jiu-jitsu stylist or a judo stylist. What that does is it would bring a narrow view into what I'm able to accomplish 
under this, the rules that are set in judo or jiu-jitsu, respectively. So when I grapple, we'll kind of control the rules a little bit, and we'll say there's no pulling guard, for example, today. And what that does is it changes the, the, the mindset and changes everyone around me, because if I take away that, then you're forced to grip fight me and you're forced to try to throw me. Uh, that does a, a couple things. It gives me the opportunity to, to throw you, but also you develop something that, at least my partners do, something that's outside of their comfort zones. And I think that's what I've done when I've transitioned between jiu-jitsu and judo and everything else. Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxing, wrestling is step outside my comfort zone and then utilize those skills depending on the rule set that I set for me and my training partners. So I think, yeah, the transition between judo and jiu-jitsu was a very natural fit. It's not like striking because you can't strike in, in, in grappling tournaments or grappling rules. Uh, so it naturally helped me. The, the guys that I felt, you know, had good ground games, I would outgrip them and throw them. The guys that I felt would maybe out-wrestle me, I would just pull guard and use my jiu-jitsu. So I, I felt that it increased my options to to neutralize an opponent that was uh, good in a certain area. I had more options to stay away from their strengths. And is this something that, you know, you think all, like, that we's, we's men are struggling with in today's society, that we don't get out of our comfort zones, we don't learn, and we don't, you know, we don't adapt to different situations? Yeah, I think some do and some don't. Remember, in the martial arts sense, uh, I wouldn't say that's true. I think maybe in societal sense, yeah. But in the martial arts sense, I mean, now we have MMA. And MMA has revolutionized our understanding of fighting. Um, nothing else will ever do that again unless you put a sword in somebody's hand and go back to the days of the gladiator. But um, it has absolutely revolutionized how we understand movement, how we understand fighting. And this goes all the way into applications outside of just martial arts. This is law enforcement, military, uh, where people are actually putting themselves in danger um, to save lives and do other things. Um, I think societal, I mean, I'm not everywhere, but I, from what I see, remember, we're bombarded with uh, sensationalism. Media has a an agenda of, of sensationalism, which essentially is we need to sell uh, advertisers to other groups. So the way they do that is they choose stories that are, I mean, I don't want to go into this too much, but it's, it's so obvious. They choose stories that are, you know, if there's a riot, they want to, you know, close in on that riot or it's the way they articulate things. So my view is not perfect like anyone else's when you, uh, when you look at like media and how I understand the world. So, but my perspective is I think a lot of day-to-day -day people have such an easy time in life. I can call and order a pizza there in 20 minutes. I can call an Uber to drive me somewhere, whatever, you know, especially with the Internet and social media and all these other things. It's very, very easy to survive and make it, especially in the United States and other countries. Uh, very easy. It's very, very easy. Our lives are very easy. And what that does is it kind of like, coddles us a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of that effect that uh, that I would say day-to-day -day people have that I didn't grow up with because, like I said, my father kind of chose my path a little bit, um, and I did it until I got addicted to it, and then it was my decision. But uh, I think 
um, I, I see the world in spectrums. And I, I, I talk about this widening your operational spectrum. And what that means is it's not like if we take music, for example, and I'll go off on a tangent to explain my point, but some people like a certain type of music. They're very big on a certain type of music. And they don't like stepping outside that. And one thing I hear a lot is like, oh, I hate country. I like hip hop or, or I, I hate country. I like metal. Well, for me, as I grew up, and I think this is part of the maturing process, I like everything now. I like the spectrum of music. Name it, and, I'll, and I like it. I can appreciate it. Uh, it's the same for comfort levels. Many people can appreciate a massage when that massage is just making you feel good. But the second they go deep tissue and actually start repairing, it's another analogy I use, start repairing your body and getting in there. You're moving around, you know, tissue that shouldn't be there and you're breaking things down well that that's painful and a lot of people stay away from that even though it has a a value to your body and your overall health and that's the way i look at it because i get worked on all the time and i was thinking of this analogy i think yeah i think traditionally and especially how when things are easy people start getting coddled and uh they can find ways not to step outside their comfort zones therefore not widening their operational spectrum and they're increasing their tolerances for day-to-day struggles. And do you think, like, that's, um, you know, because of the comfort level and people are not pushing themselves, that the introduction of the UFC, you know, where it's, like, the, down to the most basic component of manhood, you know, the fight, is what draws people in. Is that why it's exploded over the years? Yeah, I think... Uh, and again, this is just my perspective, but I think watching someone do something that you have no intention of doing is is interesting to people. For me, it's it's not. I don't have that exact perspective because I've been doing it for so long. But yeah, I would say like, oh, I, I don't want to wake up early and learn a skill and get choked because those things are what crazy people do. Um, I was sitting down with John Danaher years ago in New York, and we're talking about. You know, he goes, Dave, you got to remember, this is years ago, but he goes, he goes you got to remember, like, we're the crazy people. We roll around on the mat, sweat, get people's hair in our mouth and try to choke each other. Like, and when you put it that way, it's kind of like, yeah, we, it's true. We are very far removed, I would say, with whatever normal is. And so when people look at the UFC and you talk about, I mean, really what's, what's paying the UFC salaries and, and, and whatnot it's normal people. Normal people essentially are the ones that consume everything, right? And so normal people will look at that like a train wreck or a car wreck. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's happening. And I think that's part of, but there's also an evolutionary kind of like primal uh, trigger there that should hopefully always exist with Homo sapiens that, you know, that we had to fight to survive and we used to live in caves and things like that. But I think those go hand in hand, like, oh, I could never do this. Let me watch it, see what it's about. And it's a fight. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't, I wouldn't say just like to see a fight, but who isn't interested in a fight? Those are two human beings, uh, in this case, very, very skilled fighting each other. And then the way things are evolving, it it keeps uh, even, I would say, old school fans interested. Uh, And that's the way MMA you know, has done this. MMA is not the MMA 10 years ago, and it won't be in, in 10 or 20 years as well. Because you notice that when, you know, if somebody starts a fight in the street that everybody watches, even if they're sort of horrified by the, you know, the 
um, barbarism of it, they actually still can't take their eyes off it. It's like we're kind of drawn to, you know, like cavemen kind of attitudes. I mean, do you think you would have gone into martial arts if your father hadn't been sort of, uh, you know, a martial artist in his own right and your brother? Or would you, do you think you would have been drawn into that? It's It's possible. I think early on, I mean, look at the type of person I am. I have a very type A personality. I think that's genetic. I don't think that's, I think you can hone it. I think my, I don't think I was born tough, but I was born with a type A personality. Uh, and those are two different things. So when we talk about like, there's people with type A personalities that are not tough because they've never built that, you know, I mean, and then there's people genetically born tough or at least predisposed to developing toughness very easily um, I don't think I was tough. I think I actually struggled. Sorry, my phone's ringing. No. I think I actually struggled at times. I was a victim of, of being bullied, even in the judo community here and there, because there's bullies everywhere. Um, and I remember d- times crying and just being kind of a whiny baby about things, even when I was young doing judo. Uh, those That's... You know, I'm far removed from that now because of the experience and the, the process of, I would say, hardening myself, my body, and hardening my ability to uh, handle myself emotionally. Uh, and that's through judo. Now, would I have naturally drifted towards martial arts? I think those things can be answered uh, with influences, like positive influences. I think if I had a positive influence that directed me, hey, try this martial art, I don't think it's a natural thing for people to try because when we grow up, uh, essentially we start to become our friends. Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, who are your top five friends. You, essentially you're going to be the, the, you know, the average of those or you're going to be on the spectrum top or bottom of those. And I think if you grow up with friends that are um, doing things probably they shouldn't be doing or struggle in life or struggle – with, you know, increasing their maturity levels, then you'll follow suit. Uh, So I think the opportunity obviously was handed down to me. But at the same time, when I was about 15 years old, I got addicted to training and I had multiple, I mean, I've wanted to quit martial arts probably 200 times. And and that's not a, it's not a joke. That's literal. Uh, I've wanted to quit over and over and over again. The pressures of having my father as my instructor, the pressures of, of the training the, the you know judo is a very difficult art to train uh the pressures of competing at such a young age i wanted to quit over and over again what didn't uh the reason why i didn't quit is because i got addicted to it and i realized that i've put all this effort into it at 15 years of age if i quit all of that goes away um but i think i think martial arts is is you know how some people say oh well that's not my thing well that's not your thing because you've grown <laughs> apart uh, or away from our natural tendencies for fighting, which when we were hunter-gatherers, we would have to fight to survive. And I think a lot of people have lost that in their lives as they they grow kind of detached to where they came from. And so it becomes more difficult to find martial arts or say that it's your thing. When I hear, oh, that's not my thing, I just hear someone who um, could very well be brought back to their primal state or at least part of that primal state and do martial arts and in a couple of years realize, wow, now it is my thing. It's a great way of looking at it. I mean, something you mentioned there about the bullying aspect. Um, when I was in primary school, I got bullied quite badly. Um, you know, I've got quite protruding lips and 
it really affected me. But when I look, grew up in the Highlands, where there wasn't the option to, you know, go to a physical outlet like martial arts and learn to deal with that, so I carried a lot of baggage and it kind of had some issues with it later on in life. Whereas other people now have the option to go and learn, and it's more accepted rather than you know the the meathead approach that the old UFC used to have. So, if somebody was listening to this. Could you advise why somebody should start taking out martial art? You know, what what could they get from it emotionally, mentally, physically? Um, I can, yeah, and I will. I'll discuss. I would say my uh, at this point at four, 41 years of age, why I see the value or what the value is for training. But at the same time, it has to be experienced, and I want to start with saying that martial arts needs needs to be experienced. So somebody, I wrote, I think, a post online. I said something about. You know, the question comes in, what's an honest try for jiu-jitsu? Let's just take jiu-jitsu. What's an honest try? What's giving it my an honest go? And I think until you get your blue belt. I used to give the answer, oh, go six months, twice a week, never miss a day those weeks. And then I'm like, no, that's not enough. <laughs> and, and if you want my honest answer and me not being a businessman because there's two different – personas. There's me running a business and my livelihood. And then there's me. If you ask me a question, which is 99% of how I just operate, I'm not a good salesman because I don't lie to people. Um, so if you ask me a question and I'm pressed, like what's an honest go giving it an honest go. And I'm like, well, until you get your blue belt. And then of course that follows with, because then you're only one belt away from purple. Then you're only one belt away from Brown. Then you're only one belt away from black belt. And this goes back to my true, like, honest opinion and understanding of, you know, homo sapiens and all the ones that I've been involved with and, and my experiences 41 years of age is it is for everyone. Is self-defense for everyone? Yes, it is. Is, you know, conditioning and increasing your tolerances overall? Yes, it is. Why isn't it? Is a higher level of fitness you never thought was true? Yes, it is. It's, it is for you because you're a human being in this world that many times – um, remember, bullies, when you think of a bully, you think of a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old. No, there's there's bullies at every level. There's 60-year-old bullies. There's 40-year-old bullies. And you're going to have to put up with bullies no matter what. For example, you can go to a coffee shop and someone's having a bad day and order coffee and they just start. I mean, the other day I was vacationing and just attitude I got from this you know, person serving me. And... My jujitsu reminds me, like, I don't need to engage this attitude. Like, I don't need to fight this on a verbal level, whereas someone might because they're, they know they're safe. You know, when we live in government-controlled societies, we're safe. Like, oh, that guy can't fight me, so I'm going to, you know, increase this, I would say, not de-escalate. The, the, the overall goal of any situation is to de-escalate. But when you don't have that confidence and you don't have that martial arts training and you haven't gone through the the conceptual understanding of, of self-defense, which is de-escalation, sometimes you'll escalate just out of frustration. Well, why is that person being frustrated at me? I'm going to go and increase, and, you know, stir this pot by because I know I'm safe. They're over the counter. Whereas I just go, okay, cool, <laughs> whatever. It's like when you when you train martial arts, you develop such a confidence where – Little things like that are absolutely a waste of time. I've been yelled at or cursed at. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, man. I'm trying to get out of your way. Like you, you go almost over. You, you don't 
allow yourself to be a you know super vulnerable where you're just a pushover. That doesn't happen. But like you'll totally get out of someone's way. I mean, if you're doing it right. Um, if so, if someone comes in and tries to nudge me, which happened uh, to me a while ago, I was walking down the street and this person changed their trajectory of their walking towards me to slam their shoulder into me. This is I call this the passerby. We use this in our self-defense class as a situational training. And I'm just walking down the street, and they're obviously these are big sidewalks. This was in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've ever been there, but very big sidewalks. There's plenty of room, and he comes in, and I'm with my brother-in-law and, and, and my sister, and, like, he comes in and, like, obviously changed his directory, like, got in my way and slammed his shoulder and said, you know, watch where you're effing going, right? This really happened to me, like, a year ago, whatever. And there's two ways to handle that. Like, oh, you want to go? And then I, I just, you know, destroy the guy, right? Or I get shot because I didn't know he had a gun or whatever the situation is. Or I just track him and make sure he's good, situation awareness over, maybe he's got a buddy waiting for me, make sure my, you know, and, and de-escalate the situation by not doing anything. So mm-hmm. what does martial arts give you outside of everything I've just talked about? It gives you the confidence to see people that are bullies for what they are and they are cowards. That's what a bully is. They're a coward. So, and I have no problem saying that. The world is full of negative realities. So when I see something like that, or they're just giving me attitude, I'm like, all right, you're a coward. Or you're at least being a coward right now, which we've all probably done it in our lives at least once. So you just look at that situation. And you're like, well, the way I'm going to deescalate this would be like, hey, maybe you're having a bad day and I don't understand it. Or you want to fight me and I don't want to fight you. But okay, all right. We're good. It's all right, but I'm leaving. It's, you know, so he gets this surge of what, whatever it is, his pride. I kind of massage his pride, and that's okay with me, but I'm avoiding all of the bad things that can happen in a real fight, like me hurting him and getting in trouble or him shooting me or whatever, this, or my family getting hurt. So my point overall is um, when you give you know, martial arts an honest go – at least jujitsu. I, I would start with jujitsu for people who don't know martial arts, but it's you gain this ability to not only you know physically control somebody as if they're like a child and they're the same age as you, and you can physically through leverage and technique and experience control that person, but you also can do it. Whereas you know what, I'm gonna massage your pride. You win this round, and, you know, and there's never gonna be another round. And I'm de-escalating just by being a really nice guy. Uh, that's the kind of confidence that you gain. So it's it's a mental confidence and it's a physical con- uh, confidence. You know, I, I think it's quite sir. It's quite amazing when you think about it. Is that as you get better and you know higher up the the belt system, you're actually more deadly and a better fighter. But you learn to actually learn to be a better fighter. But you also learn that you don't need to fight as you progress through it. And you get to that point where it's like, you know, if you did go, you could seriously hurt somebody, but you learn to actually let it go. You know, you fight the urge to fight, so to speak. And I think that I really wish I had had that outlet when I was younger. Um, thankfully, my nephews now have, you know, a training option for them and they can learn that how to control aggression. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing, and you're pointing it out beautifully, the more you train, the less you want to fight. I mean, I, I think part of that also is, you know, a 20-year-old will want to fight more than a 40-year-old, you know. But at the same time, there, the other variable is 
the more you fight, the more you understand how bad things can get. You know, and I'm I'm a big, you know, I would say supporter of somebody standing up for themselves. I mean, I, of course. I mean, I think we all have a right of self-defense that, that should not be a government right. It's a, it's a human right for self-defense. Uh, and so, for example, if I had to defend myself, people need to remember is who will I be judged by? I'll be judged by people who've never trained a day in their life. And so they, they think it's very much like when we when you have people who've never fired a firearm <laughs> – judging a police officer in in certain situations not to say they're even wrong but they, their perspective is so ignorant and so if i had to defend myself and let's say i hurt somebody because maybe they're on drugs or whatever the situation is what are the, what are the lawyers going to do and this goes back to the sensationalism of our media they're going to try to win they're not going to go for truth truth doesn't pay them money you know what i mean like they're they're like marketers they're trying to win so then I'm being judged by – I mean, these, and I'm trying to educate people. These are all the things that can go wrong. Then I'm being judged by people who are absolutely ignorant, totally ignorant. They think I can float and disappear and that I'm not human because I'm a black belt. And they would look at Dave Cameron. Oh, look, at Dave. He's been training since he was five. Look at his resume. He trained all these fighters. He trains military. He trains law enforcement. He should know. He should be able to use his hand like a – Jedi and control somebody and, and force hold them against the wall until proper authorities came. You know, that's the, their perspective, which is extremely skewed. It has no relevant, almost no relevance because it has no experience behind it. There's no, but if you had like a bunch of jujitsu black belts that were, you know what I mean? They were like, well, Dave is, you know, we know Dave and we know we we're looking at the situation and he was forced to defend his family, to fight this guy off. And in that, this guy got hurt. You know, that would be a totally different version of what happened versus somebody who's trying to, like, when you look, when you do this, so I, so Joe Rogan is the commentator of the UFC, right? Um, watch a fight on mute. And then watch a fight listening to him. He does get in your head, and he's he's rightly so because he knows what he's talking about. But he's somewhat narrating what's going on, even if you're visually watching it. He's narrating what's going on. Sometimes, I, most of the time, I agree with him. Sometimes I'm like, that that's not really what I saw. Another way to look at this is if you take someone who's never watched fighting in their lives versus like someone who fights. Show them a video and then have them like articulate it in an essay. You know what I mean? Those are going to be two different essays, you know what I mean, because of the level of experience. That's something I've done, you know, where my mom was horrified by the blood and, uh, you know, what she's seen as like a guy just getting stamped on, whereas I was looking at it as in, you know, how he was trying to use a certain guard and, you know, they were looking for this kind of leverage. And you, you see the, I don't know what you call it, like maybe the beauty of it, of the actual... Right. The physicality of it, the control, the the thought, and the control of emotions to control your body and your, like you know, your heightened passion, and it's like Joe really pushes it, and he's somebody I really like respect and would love to interview as well, but he sometimes does drive up the, um, I don't know, the uh, mentally, the uh, intelligently challenged people, some of them that watch it, you know, and they can get them a bit kind of hyped and 
ready to throw fists themselves. <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, he I, I can't imagine a better commentator for the UFC, but yeah, that's funny. That's funny the way you say that. So if somebody's listened to this, you know, and, you know, you said that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was a great one to try, um, and say they've got a gym down the road, how, or, you know, they've got a selection of places, how do they know the best martial art for them? How do they know what's a good school, what's a good program to start with? You know, maybe they're outside your remit because you look like you've got a great facility, but say somebody that's in another place entirely, what, what should they look out for as warning signs? I, I think uh, I think look at a martial arts academy, especially someone who's never tried it. I mean, it depends on your age, and I, I talked about this on, on our podcast, but uh, – if you're 20 years old and you want and you're like man I want to fight and I want to do then then you're going to have a certain perspective on what you're looking for. If you're 40 years old you have a totally different one. So I'm just going to talk as if you're a, a mature adult with a mortgage, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think you should look for professionalism. I mean, when you go to a hotel, what kind of hotel do you want? You know what I mean? Like now that I'm older when I go to a hotel, I want a nice hotel. I want a safe environment. You know, I just got back like from Portland with my family. We stayed at the Monaco Hotel. I think that's the name of it. Um, very nice, very safe area. Very, you know, it's a high end hotel. And yeah, I mean, I don't mind paying the money when it's high end. And I and I I like the professionalism um, across the board. Everyone you deal with there is is professional. That's what I like in my academy. That's what I would like if I moved away and just wanted to start jiu-jitsu again. Um, so right when you walk in, it doesn't smell good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people come to our school and say, man, your place smells really good. I'm like, yeah, because I've been in gyms that are, that stink. And then gyms that stink, you're going to attract only certain types of people. And they're not bad people. I grew up training with them. But as I get older and, and I've never done this before, the tendencies for you to get, roughed up in a, in a place that stinks is higher than in a place that smells good. It should, this is just, there's no, this isn't rocket science. So it's what you are looking for. If it was me, it's a professional place. Uh, they're very friendly. They're there to help. And then you look at the students. Now you could have a good instructor, but the students are like, you know, you're a minnow and they're sharks. And you know, you know, you can see them salivating when they look at your elbows. You know what I mean? They want to just, so um, a very high-end competition environment is not good for brand-new students, in my opinion, because you're throwing them to the wolves. Uh, I hear a lot of people complain about other schools that say, and there's plenty of good schools, like I said, it depends on who you are, but they say, like, oh, they threw me to the wolves. Well, these days, I would say the level of professionalism is is much higher in terms of ratio than it used to be in my day. In my day, it's come in and we're just going to fight. Uh I think the Gracie Academy always brought in a level of professionalism, but I think a lot of schools didn't. These days, I think things are changing. AOJ is very professional. Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu, our academy, is very professional. And there's a lot out there, like Marcelo Garcia is very professional. Um, and it just gives you this vibe that you just feel warm, welcoming. I think that's one of the most important things, because if you're excited, warm, welcoming feeling, the rest is going to take care of itself to an extent. Uh, but then at the same time, if there's sports schools versus self-defense schools, a lot of 
you know, it depends on what you want out of jujitsu. Uh, for me, why jujitsu? And I'll just ask this question and answer it. Why jujitsu? I don't, I just studying movement and MMA and so and striking arts and all these other things. Jujitsu gives you the, the ability to control a situation without smashing someone's head open. You know what I mean? Like you have, when I talk about widening your operational spectrum, you have the ability to control situations and control people and human beings that many times doesn't exist with other arts because it's so in depth on how you're, you know, there's so many different defenses to the way people grab. There's you sparring with someone else, uh, learning relaxation. So there's less impact on the body. Uh, again, it's one of the greatest, it, it is the greatest martial arts out there. I mean, I'm just absolutely convinced. So, um, it's what you want out of it in the end. And, you know, are these people, what's their intention? And, and what are the students, are the students helpful? I think those are the very, you know, three key areas that, that I would focus on. Do you know, I've, I've done judo, a couple of classes in judo, a couple of classes in wrestling and MMA and stuff. And they're all in different places. Um, yeah. and I, I was going to go do an MMA class and you're just, it was like you were describing each different gym, you know, like one was smelly, one was welcoming, one was like no <laughs> beginner classes. So I remember getting choked out by a guy in the MMA class, you know, who was about twice my size, probably been there for about five years more than I had. And, you know, he was just choking me out and I felt like the guy wasn't caring. Like there wasn't a beginner section that you could put guys who were new, who wanted to learn, but were very fragile, shall we say, compared to the guys who are looking for how to right. inflict pain, you know? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you say MMA gym, I'm like, well, I, w I would put on the brakes. I would, I mean, <laughs> to me, that's a, a red flag just saying MMA gym because, and some do it outstanding, but when we talk about like MMA, MMA is the most brutal thing ever created for empty hand engagements, like as a sport. So I, that's why I, st I would start with jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu schools where the key that, that immediately slows things down, there's more control, there's more focus on control. Um, and I'm not saying not go to an MMA gym, but I think it's difficult to create, I mean, we've done it, but <clears throat> it's difficult to c create an environment especially if you have competitor MMA fighters that is conducive for brand new students. Uh, I've it's that's, that's something that's very difficult to create. So what you experienced is uh, very much like what I've seen in, in other stories of people coming to those types of environments and expecting, um, you know, to be catered to. So yeah, that's, a, that's a, that's not that's nothing new being choked out because if they're they're like well this is MMA you know that's their mentality and I think the underlying issue here is in in many arts there's an inability and we see this a lot in MMA inability to understand or at least have empathy towards the person in front of me because they come from different walks of life they've maybe never done anything physical in their lives and then you're throwing them in my realm where I'm super comfortable and I like punching people and choking people. Um, and I'm not trying to scare people off or even give MMA a bad name at all. The reality is you, it's difficult to put someone in front of especially, you know, younger students in MMA who are like getting ready for something. Those are two different realms of existence that should not be mixed together. I mean, when I was rolling with the judo guy, for example, you know, he would say, okay, 
I'll go down and I'll give you my buck and try this, you know, whereas with the MMA guy, it was more a case of he sort of just threw me down and quickly got my back and choked me out. You know, there was no kind of learning. There was no structure. It was just a case of they wanted to win, whereas the judo guy looked at the kind of to, to, to develop me rather than because he knew he was far more skilled than I was, but he wanted to bring me up, whereas the MMA guy wanted to knock me down for <laughs> Well, not yeah. out there. <laughs> so it's, it's certainly a, an interesting way, and I really like the way you put that. You know, of like, of why you shouldn't go directly into the MMA gym straight away. You know, and how how to look for a, a good class for you. So, what do you look for? You know, what what would you like the ideal student to do, and how can somebody listening to this who's going into martial arts for the first time ensure that they're going to be the best student for the use, the coaches, and they're going to learn. The bit, you know, they're going to be the most efficient student they can be. Well, I think when you say the most efficient student can be, you need to look at yourself as a human being in other environments and, and just kind of take notes, sit yourself down. Because before you go into that academy, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Every single jiu-jitsu instructor or gym owner, academy owner, wants out of the new students is an honest go. And we already outlined what that means. And it's hard for them to, and it's, it's, it's a thing where you, like I'll get a student and they'll not really give it an honest go and then just say, it's not for me. And I'm like, okay, we'll be really nice and I'll try to talk to them. But if I'm honest to them, I would say, well, you didn't give it an honest go. Like, you, you know, to give it an honest go, you have to accept a certain level of, you know, an enduring process and enduring what's enduring and the word, the root word means to suffer, you know, endurance. I can suffer longer <laughs> than you can. You know what I mean? Like, so it's an enduring process to an extent. If you go in there and get punched in the face the first day, well, that's the problem. That's not an environment for you. But if you're going into an environment that is very professional, people are very helpful and you don't take it upon yourself to accept a certain level of, you know, suffering. And, and, and these aren't marketing words. This isn't me on a poster selling myself and saying, you know, this is the greatest martial art in the world. And you, you know, that's not, no, I'm telling the truth. You will have to, at least on a small level. I mean, if you're sweating, that's a certain level of, of suffering. If you're having to show up uh, at a certain time and finish the class, you're going to suffer through that class a little bit, even if it's a little bit. And you have to accept that level. If you don't, in my opinion, the problem isn't the martial art. The problem is you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's my point is you got to pay attention to what happened previous to you walking to that academy. You got to know yourself and you have to, like, start righting some of the wrongs that exist in your uh, natural tendencies. I mean, that's the, the remarkable thing is, like, when initially I seen, you know, I heard you in other podcasts. I thought, okay, he's just another martial arts guy. But I love the way that you look at things, and you know, you're very sort of philosophical, and you're very kind of detailed oriented. And you know, it's you seem such a great fun guy, and you make martial arts so encouraging and enjoyable for people. So, is martial arts learning the same as learning other, any other skill? Because I noticed that you're learning guitar, you know, and that you used to play chess. Are these kind of the learning skills the same as learning a martial art or is there parallels that you could link between the two everything's the same on a, on a large level especially you know 
initially. So I believe in incremental intelligence, so incremental learning, incremental development, you know, baby steps, we, we call it. So in with military, we, we, there's a saying, it's crawl, walk, run. Um, and that just, that's a spectrum, you know, whereas crawls on one side, run is on the other. And, you know, uh, walk is, is somewhere in the middle. And, and, uh, with guitar, I mean, I've been, I've been playing guitar for years with long breaks. So I used to be in a band in high school and then I took a break. And, um, so guitar is a good example. And, um, so for example, if I, if I'm, doing the chromatic scale, which is just, I use, you know, fret one, two, and three, and four on whatever string anywhere. Chromatic is just one, two, three, four. And I'm learning how to coordinate my fingers to, you know, create a certain sound for the notes, right? So properly fret a note so I don't get buzz on the string or, you know, you can hear it right or in it and there's some kind of, it resonates a little bit. Well, if I'm working that and I'm working on my coordination, it has to be done with certain drills initially so there's a drill where you just go one two three four then you go to the you know so it's e one two three four which is the low e then you go to you know d then one two three four i'm sorry a one two three four then you go d then you go g then you go b then you go e and and you're essentially incrementally coordinating your fingers to hit proper notes and work in unison with your picking so you have two hands working together uh it's very easy in my opinion initially but it's like anything else like i consider myself terrible at guitar it's because i'm using my martial arts experience to set a spectrum you know a proper ranking spectrum you know what i mean i would consider myself still a white belt at guitar even though i can probably in a month play in a band and just do cover songs but i'm still a white belt but my point is is the initial exposure to this type of, you know, gained intelligence has to be incremental. Um, and that's universal. And so you look at guitar and you look at exercises you can do. Then you start looking at very simple, like, you know, the major scale, learn the major scale, which essentially is just, uh, it's the major scale, <laughs> hard to explain, but like you set yourself in a curriculum that will get you to where you want to be. And then you take it as far as you want. That's the same as guitar. That's the same as shooting. That's the same as martial arts. It doesn't matter. So initially you have a structured curriculum to get your feet wet. And then I think from there, your curriculum constantly evolves. And then uh, you can take it many different avenues like teaching. So for example, when I started teaching, even though I was flying around and armbarring everybody, when I started teaching, I realized I don't know jiu-jitsu because my whole understanding of you know, this new type of intelligence uh, only existed on my performance against another person. But that's uh, very short-sighted. So as you start climbing the ladder, you'll realize, you know, and that's why I like the hierarchy of, of jiu-jitsu with the belts. Every new belt, you realize how much you don't know. It's not really how much you know. Yeah, you're gaining confidence, but you're realizing how much you don't know. And that's absolutely universal. So everything I'm talking about right now is universal for, for learning uh learning uh chess you know chess i use you know very simple uh framework to 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 you know teach kids so for example it's get your pieces out control the bridge and then castle you know protect your king if you start with those three concepts you're going to learn chess of course you got to learn what each piece does but like you're going to learn chess so if i do chromatic scale and guitar i'm going to learn coordination and at least 
that will be a framework to learn other skills. Same thing in chess. If I learn those conceptual understanding of chess, I'm going to be able to learn and go off in many different directions. In jiu-jitsu, if I learn uh, what we call solo movements, so ukemi is part of solo movement, which is breaking the fall. Hip escapes create space, you know, sprawling, circling, uh, those things. Then I grab a partner and start utilizing those in different, the six different positions. I talked about this in the Tim Ferriss podcast, which essentially is, uh, you know, there's three guards and three advantageous positions for top, side control, mount back, and then three guards, half guard, you know, open guard and close guard. Again, not talking about all these subcategories of positions, but just very, and that's experienced twice, top and bottom, that's 12 positions. So very simple. Jiu-Jitsu to me is very simple. It's 12 positions on the ground. We're not talking about standing. And then you have like two go-to moves each. So I'm not good at math, but that's what, 24 moves. You know what I mean? So if you have 24 moves and you just focus on that, you're getting your feet wet and then you're starting to spar and you're getting experience. Well, that's an initial understanding of like set a framework, a framework where you, the language you're learning. So guitar is a language. Shooting is a language. Jiu-Jitsu is a language. So start learning the language and just the basic framework to learn that language. And then you can do whatever you want because human beings are, and this is going back to why do martial arts. Why do martial arts? To find your human potential. There's, you know, when we talk about like people living in this world and just not really pushing themselves, they're not really, you know, finding their human potential. And that's essentially what it is. We are human beings. Um, and maybe this is a type A personality thing, but I think even type B should understand the importance of I'm not here long and I don't know what happens after. So let's let's uh, let's push the envelope and, and gain experience and skill sets and. Uh, and set good examples for people that are that are younger than us. I, I love the way you look at things. You know, that was a very very detailed way of looking at things and you know you took a very what could be a complicated sport and you've made it so sort of you know a fundamental base of do this 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 and this and you can learn it you know then you break it down farther into the more complicated aspects but it's like you know it, it's just, it just sounded so easy listening to it i mean did you use those kind of concepts when you transitioned from competing to coaching and then also to running a business did you um, struggle with that kind of change or did you just do the same kind of approach? Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, that's essentially where it all came from. I, I, I in college, I obviously I, I started reading a lot and I, I was struggling at a point where competing, I didn't like competing anymore in jujitsu and I was a brown belt in jujitsu and I wasn't getting promoted and I was kind of in a rut and so what I did is I started teaching chess, which has very much to do with jiu-jitsu, but someone who doesn't understand what we just talked about would say those are absolutely totally different, you know, different planes of existence, which I'll take that, meaning, like, they're so different. Like, guitar and, and doing jiu-jitsu on the physical realm is very different. So guitar, all I got to do is hold that guitar up and use both hands. I don't have to protect my feet, my knees, my wrists, my elbow, you know, how many things you can attack in a grappling situation. So in the physical realm, just is very different than chess. So I did chess. And I remember just being in this rut, very frustrated, not getting promoted. I'd go to practice and destroy everybody. And that became boring for me. Um, 
winning is boring. You know, the struggle is, is, is the, we, we have a saying, create the battle, not the glory. I like battling. Like I like the battle to me means you're fighting back. You know what I mean? Like, and that's another reason why in self-defense situations, it's a joke because for most situations, even if, you know, if it's, if it's empty hand, I had to control somebody, which I did in my own house one time. Uh, but that's kind of a joke because it's it's so easy. There's it's not really a battle. He's not really going to fight back. I'm just going to put him down and control him. Some would, but in this situation, it, it didn't. But I like the battle. So the battle is the process of getting from point A to point B. If you want to be at B and you're at A, you need to battle and struggle through that. Well, I I adore the battle. Like that's one thing I like. I uh, that's why it's difficult for me when I'm hurt and I'm rehabbing my arm. And as I get older, it's easier to do that. But like, all I want to do is grab my buddy Barsati and fight him with Slayer Blasting. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of my favorite things to do. And then the other side of the spectrum works super technical. Jiu-Jitsu, I like that as well. But there's something in my mind that I think living is battling. So uh, I think it's important to, uh, you know, maybe even chemically change your mind a little bit and 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 learn to love the battle. Uh, I think I'm going off on a tangent. What was the initial question? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it, it was, I mean, uh, it's, uh, I was really enjoying that. I mean, it was just to see how, how you made the transition from being a fighter to actually oh, the coaching and to the business. Right. And, you know, you made, you made it a, a very good point there is that you didn't want to just let rest on your laurels. You wanted to keep pushing yourself and learning and, you know, finding another battle rather than just winning. Yeah, and and people need to remember, like I, I did jujitsu, but I'm not a jujitsu guy. I'm not a judo guy, because I've done everything, you know. So what we do, and there's a lot I don't know. There's there's so much out there. I took a class from my buddy Jared. Uh, we worked together, uh, you know, on projects, and I'm just watching him teach. I'm like, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think you need to have people in your lives where you get to a certain level and you gain this immense confidence. And then the next guy is doing something that is like you, it's like the palm to your head slap. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And then now I'll nerd out on it and, 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 and destroy it and recreate it and just come up with other things that become not mine because none of the all of this was done before. But we just the, we get good at the presentation of it, the articulation of it. So going back to your initial question, I think I remember it now. Yeah, when I when I had to start <laughs> that crazy word empathy and understanding the new student because I, I don't feel that I was ever a new student. So I've never really felt uh, like many people do when they walk in because many people walk into an academy, maybe they're 10 years old. That's still kind of a young, but then, the, or, or some will walk in when they're 20 or 30, that's a new student. They have no grasp of anything physical. Most of them. Well, I never had that. I was four or five years old thrown on the mat fighting my dad, you know? So uh, relating to that new student, I think was the first approach for me because I did not, I was super type a super competitive, a meathead, you know, there was a mean streak in me when I was competing. Uh, I just wasn't very nice on the mat. Sounds they stayed. I just try to rip your head off at, at, with how we, we would have monsters in there. I just try to destroy everybody in the room. So I had to take all of that and like <laughs> learn to be more of an adult learn to be more mature, learn to start working on my presentation. And the first part of that was relating to the new student. Because a lot of people, when you're competing, it's, you're a competitor. But I need to relate to that brand new student. 
Um, and it helped me be a better human being. So that was the first step. The second step, well, I need to work on my presentation in terms of presenting what I know and giving it to someone and, and, and giving them a platform so they can run with it. And actually, it actually you see growth. Well, that means I have to do things slightly different than I do it because I'm a very dynamic person. I'm very genetically fast. I can jump and do all these other things, right? So I, the brand new student can't do that. So this goes back to relating to them. So I had to break it down step by step and even change my own game a little bit, which I did because you get way better when you start teaching. Like that's why I talked about before I taught it and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then you start working on your articulation, working on certain drills, working on understanding a, that framework I talked about, giving them a framework so that it's conducive for everyone. It's conducive for someone who has no idea what they're doing and you can get the super athlete in there in the same class. And you, what you're doing essentially, and that's the spectrum, super athlete and brand new students, brand new students never done anything in their lives. You're trying to slowly, incrementally, there's that word again, increase their tolerances, thresholds, desensitization to being held down, all these things, natural reactions and, and, and the skill of anticipation. You're trying to raise that level. And with the super athlete, you're actually trying to lower his. You're trying to bring him down. You're trying to get him to be able to work with that new. And that's what I call culture. When you create a good culture in your academy, you have, and this goes back to choosing an academy to, to train at, look at their students. Are they helpful? If they're not, that place, I mean, that wouldn't be for me. I don't want to be anywhere where the students are not helpful. Um, there's plenty of places like that. So my students, and, you know, and we'll have, I don't know, 20, you know, adults on the mat, 25, 30 sometimes, everyone in there from the super athlete all the way to the brand new student is going to help you, <laughs> you know. So uh, all of that was, there's a lot of thought process that went behind it and a lot of maturing in my own life. That's why I talk about before you walk into that academy and give it an honest go, look at yourself in the mirror. Because if I don't have my, if I'm not working on me, it's difficult to create an academy that can work on brand new students and, and give them the experience that they deserve. You know, I mean, I, I actually was just too busy listening to that to actually think of my next question, but I... I, I, I <laughs> no, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> a, a, light a light bulb sort of went off my head there because I recently changed a role in my, well, say my proper job. You know, I'm trying to build this podcast into a full-time job, but I've changed roles and I was just thinking there, you know, it's, I need to do that as well. I need to change the way I look at the the new student because I actually deal with like actual students in a university and I need to look at them being new and being empathetic to their needs rather than what I believe and what I've you know in the last few years in my other role and I'm sure it's probably just clicked how other people can use that transferably into their role in their life and you know it's again that's just the way you look at things and I'm sure you've you've you know you must have made some amazing new fans today because it, you're, you blow me away with some of your answers. So something I've often wondered is, how do you deal... I mean, I've got an older brother, too. and How do you deal with, like, your brother and your father growing up? How were you with, like, you know, the brother fights and stuff like that? Did it ever start getting, like, on the ground and, like, rolling? Or was it just the usual kind of slap in the back of the head and run off kind of things like most brothers do? Everything. I mean, every, there's a spectrum. So my brother was four years older than me, which which is frustrating. I wish my parents had put us closer together because I just got destroyed because he trained. 
he started when he was five. I started when I was five. So by the time I was five, he was nine. You know, when I was 10, he was 14. You know, when I was, you know, when I was 15, he's 19. And he was at the same time, genetically very talented, very talented individual who would work, wouldn't work, wouldn't need to work as hard as I worked and he would accomplish more. So that was frustrating. But at the same time, like I said, frustrating is good. Like, you know, we, we have these words and we immediately put negative connotations and like, oh, stress is bad. You know, you know, feeling bad is bad or my feelings are hurt. All that stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous because you're not increasing your tolerances. If you, you know, so for me, when I say it was frustrating, that's actually a good thing. Like anger can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, too, for sure. You know, I was talking to my, I'm going off on tangents, but I was talking to my buddy the other day, and he's like, Dave, remember, anger is, is, is a good thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, if you're angry, use the anger. Like, channel it. You know, it's like a move that you don't do, but someone else is, well, just channel the move. And if it's working, it's working for you. If it's hurt, hurting the people around you, then it's bad. It's obvious when, when it's bad. Um, the, 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 the thing we're talking about isn't, isn't bad or good. It just sits there. Whether you're, you know, how you channel it is, is whether it's going to be a detriment or a value. Uh, so when I grew up, the frustration was a good thing. You know, getting beat up over and over again is a good thing. Like I, the relationship I had with my brother, Daniel, even with my father, I, I would, I would start thinking, oh, you know, because I have frustration issues here and there, like, meaning I'm a homo sapien, I'm a human, homo sapien, you know. Uh, and I used to blame my dad. Like, I would sit there like, man, I wish my dad wasn't so hard on me when I was younger. And I'm like, that's a coward uh, interpretation of, of, of reality. Yeah, my dad was hardcore. It was a different time. Some of the things he did is child abuse these days. And I thank him for doing it because – you know, it, it put me through an early struggle, <laughs> which is which is a good thing. You know, for me, I could handle it, and it has enriched my life. And it's I thank him every single day. Uh, so so if you talk about my brother, it's the same thing. He would fight me and punch me. He'd beat me up in front of his friends just for fun. You know, I mean, just normal dumb stuff when you're kids, and that would carry into judo practice. And we would have battles, and I would try to destroy him all the time. Well, what's the lesson? Why is it a good thing? Or is this Dave guy just absolutely out of his mind? No, it's a good thing because of this. He would destroy me and it wouldn't deter me. It would motivate me. So I channeled frustration to motivate me. I didn't use frustration as an out. And if you want to talk about, I would say, the my least favorite characteristics uh, for human beings, it's I don't want to be frustrated. I don't want to be stressed. I'm overly sensitive to everything. I'm offended. When you're offended, you're giving power to the person who's so-called, quote-unquote, offending you. You're giving them power over you. It is the absolute worst thing in our society. You need to take ownership. If there's an injustice, address the injustice professionally. Don't address it with, I'm offended. And so I'm just going to take that rationale into my life. I wasn't offended by getting beat up. I wasn't crying. Well, sometimes I was, but because <laughs> it hurt. But I wasn't using it as an excuse of, well, I'm weak, he's strong, this is an unfair world. Life is unfair. We're all unique. Don't find an out. 
If you get frustrated, stand back up and and crave the battle. Fight your brother. So that's all I did when I was young. So I actually, we joke, and I think one of the reasons why I got really, really tough, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, or tougher, there's, tough, there's people tougher than me. You know, it's just however tough I got, that big jump was largely due to me fighting my brother when I was growing up. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, when I was growing up, I got a slap in the bum if I was cheeky. I wrestled with my brother. You know, we've played um, what we called British Bulldogs, where there'd be two groups, and one would charge to the other, and one group would try to stop the other getting past. You know, and stuff that nowadays is banned, and I think this is the problem, is that we let our physicality out. Nowadays, kids don't get that. You know, so this is why we get into, they get into fights and hassles and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, so the, the the answer, like, my son is going to do martial arts. Like, it, it's not a choice. Like, me and my wife are on the same page. It's not a choice. I don't understand. I mean, if you're serious about, like, self-defense, why is it a choice? Are we serious about raising our kids, you know, in the mental set, in the mental side, meaning, like, arithmetic, you know, you know writing, you know, letters and, and the ability to write and, and articulate, you know, things on paper? Is that important? Is that important for our kids to go to school? Yes. I heard physical education now is an option. What? Like it's, you know, uh, I, that's, that's insane. And so I have to like raise my kids, send him off to a school system that's going to like baby him and then bring him home and try to correct some of the wrongs that they did and pull, you know, through martial arts training. And, and that's one of the things that I have to do. And, and it's life. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're robbing our kids, I think, a little bit, you know. Uh, that's, that's scary. I mean, when we grew up, it was, you know, you played outside in the morning at the breaks. You went out and played football at lunchtime. You had, you know, a couple of gym classes a day. You go play football at night. And nowadays we're teaching them to be couch potatoes, you know, with all the options. And you can order uh, food online. You're shopping yeah. to come to your door. You can even order a date online, you know. <laughs> yeah. That so, maybe, <laughs> yeah, that maybe that, never came out the way I, never, I meant it. Like, but, no, it, you know, it's funny. It's If that's, you know... Uh, but I think to counteract that, that's why I think martial arts is so important. I think, uh, you know, my son is going to be forced to go to school just like he's – same as for judo. He's going to be forced to do judo and jiu-jitsu. So uh, I'm not going to make him hate it. I'm not going to force him to be an Olympian. I don't care if he ever competes. I really don't. If he wants to, I'll support him. But he's going to train, and the training's already started. You know, he's, he's uh, not even a year and a half, and we're – you know, I'll, I'll be like, hey, judo, and I'll just th- I throw that word at him a lot. Hey, we're doing judo, and I grab his wrist, and he starts smiling, and I just throw him. So I'll throw I'll foot sweep him. I'll do also throw Gary on him, Harai I'll just keep throwing him. And, and the second, it's like he has fun, and the twirling, he's getting desensitized to that, and the ukemi. But the second I see a little change in his, you know, he's like, uh, I'm done now, but he's just, I'll stop. You know, so the idea is to keep it fun and, and then throw the word judo. It's easier to say than jiu-jitsu. It's judo, right? <laughs> and then I throw him. And he's like, okay, cool, judo, throw. It's fun. You know, so the, I'll have that maybe a little bit of an advantage versus, no, get to practice. Oh, I hit my key. No, I have another one for you like my dad did. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's the way it should be. It should be fun. It should be physicality and you know physical exercise should be part of life. Should should be fun um, to an extent, though. That's the oh, thing. I, I think I think we live in a uh, man. I could talk forever, but like, we live in a black and white world. We do. It sucks, but you know, we, we turn on the news. It's just all black and white. There's really no commentary, and it's very quick tidbits. Yeah, it's, it should be fun, but it also shouldn't be. Things that are just fun are not a struggle. You know, it goes back to it needs to be a struggle as well, and that's not a contradiction. So. I yeah, think everybody shouldn't get a participation trophy. Right, and harnessing both the, the fun aspect and, wow, today's practice was tough. Because a lot of people will say, wow, it was kind of tough. All right, quit. No. <laughs> you know, There's going to be periods in your training, especially for new students, that it's not fun. Or it's not just 100% fun. You know. Well, I've noticed we're just going over an hour, so are you okay for a couple more? I mean, I've yeah. literally got pages full, but um, I know that you'll be a busy guy, so um, I've really, I was just going to wrap up the next couple of questions, but I mean, I'd love to have you on again. I mean, sure. you're, blo- you're blown by my mind about how enjoyable this has been. Um, so I would just, there's a couple of fun questions I sort of throw in at the end. Um, so if you just throw, the first thing that comes into your mind, you know, is there any movie fight that you've seen that um, even comes close to what a proper fight is? Um, gosh. I'd have to think about that. Uh, you know, you know what's funny? If I critiqued every fight scene, uh, Knowing what I know, I would I'd probably not like any movie, and I I've grown to not do that. Same thing with firearms. I see everyone running around with finger on the trigger. It's so dumb. They're they're starting to get good uh, support in that realm. Meaning like people are finger. If you just watch people, you're when you have a gun in your hand, like a pistol. Like I was watching Star Wars last night for the first time. I can't believe I just admitted that the the Rogue War the Rogue Squadron or whatever. Because I used to be a huge fan, and now I just haven't. And she has this pistol in her hand, and her finger's off the trigger. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. I, I can point it out. That means someone there who knows how to shoot is telling them to take your finger off the trigger. <laughs> uh, you don't walk around with your finger on the trigger, is my point. Because if you a little knee jerk or move or slip, your finger makes a fist, that gun goes off. So um, when, I, when I look at fights, it's kind of the same thing. But I've just learned to just be like accept a certain level of ignorance – um, you know, to not get in the way of me enjoy, enjoying the film. So when I watch fighting, uh, I just I look at it like, you know, if you're super athlete, you can pretty much pull anything off. Like my favorite fighting movies, I don't care what anyone says, is Steven Seagal. I, I don't care what anyone says. It's very fluid. It's beautiful martial arts. It's fast. It's super aggressive. Uh, and he utilizes striking, grappling, uh, not so much on the ground, but a lot of the lockups that he does. He breaks arms. I think it's I think it's awesome. John Wick was good. I really like the mixture between judo and jujitsu. I can't think of a single fight scene, but that's probably one of my favorites because he he incorporates the gun with it, and I like that because uh, I say fighting is one art. I train in. I've been shooting since I was five. I've been grappling since I was five. I've been striking since I was like, you know, 15 or, I don't know, about, no, actually, about 20 years old I started striking. 
my point is, is, you know, if you're serious about self-defense and you learn how to protect yourself with whatever is in front of you. So I, I like John Wick because he's like mixes the judo, jiu-jitsu and firearms. You know, he goes he goes one beyond me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I quite enjoyed like, you know, in the Casino Royale, the first and the first Daniel Craig, James Bond one, where it felt realistic. You know, they were like yeah. kicking each other in the face and trying to use the sink to drown each other. And where's the John Wick and the Bournes? You know, it's the you actually feel like they were just trying to eliminate the guy. It wasn't kind of making it look special. It's just yeah. the guy's there. You want to eliminate him, get him out the way as quickly as possible. So who do you look to as a role model in your life? Um, I look to, I don't, I don't have one. I have multiple and, and you know, I call them my friends. I, I, a lot of my friends, you know, like, and they're not all my friends. I mean, I've known them maybe, but I'll look, I'll look to John Danaher, who I don't even talk to much. I just pay attention to what he does. And so I don't have to really engage somebody for them to be a role model. John Danaher, for his ability to be very composed, very articulate, very intelligent, um, and win. He's a winner. Uh, when he puts effort into a camp, he's there to win. I, I like that. Marcelo Garcia, because he's a sweetheart. I mean, outside of him being the goat, he's he's. When you're around him, you you you're smiling. I mean, there's just no other way to to be, and that's amazing. And then some of my military friends who've, uh, you know, just been in situations you know that I'll never dream of. You know, you know, in in real Rambo type situations, and and they've they've taught me so much. And I think my ability to learn from somebody who's who's done all these amazing things and it. I kind of inject that in, in my overall knowledge of fighting. It, 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 that's been unreal. So there's been some people behind the scenes that are that are absolute mentors. Uh, and I mean, has your involvement with like you know MMA fighters and the UFC and you know traveling to competitions in the world has that changed your viewpoint on martial arts or has it you know has it always just remained the same kind of your fundamental approach to it? You know, have you learned anything? Well, from... I think I think MMA is. It... Go ahead. Have I learned anyone from what? I'm sorry. Last part. Oh, sorry. Um, um, have, you know, have you learned from it? Like, has it taught you yeah. to look at the sports in a different way, maybe, or? Well, I mean, I would just answer. I don't consider fighters martial artists per se. I, I think you can be a fighter and not a martial artist. I think there are some that are fighters and martial artists. Martial artist to me is is a way to connect to others. It's a way to connect to the art. It's a way to connect to the the uh, where the art came from. So, for example, I, in hanging in my academy, I have three individuals. Uh, Jigoro Kano, the creator of judo. I have Elio Gracie, the, the creator of modern-day jiu-jitsu. And then I have uh, Masahiko Kimura, who's the warrior of the time. Like, he was a judoka that he actually beat Elio. He was, he's, to me, he's the, the sword of the, of them both. And he, uh, and I love Kimura's. Uh, so the lineage of it, you know, the lineage, when you, when you do, it's kind of like life, like, like, for example, I'm a mutt. So my lineage, I mean, I'm an American, you know, that's, but, but I, I can understand like people who are, uh, let's say they're just Chinese. 
having a strong connection to their lineage, their Chinese lineage. I can understand that because I have that in my family. My wife's Chinese. So she's an American, but she's Chinese. Do you understand? Like, I'm a mutt. I don't have that same – I don't claim Mexican or anything. It's just like my martial arts. I don't claim anything. I just it's, – it's it, I'm an American. I'm a, it's a culmination. So I think uh, – you know, it's just, it, the same goes for, for what we're talking about. I think uh, – I'm sorry. Remind me the point of where we're at. I'm going off on tangents. Um, go back to the question again. I, I apologize. Oh, no worries. Um, it was just uh, – I'm not quite sure, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I get distracted sometimes. Oh, I mean, what um, if you know? What have you learned from like oh, working MMA, yeah. with? Mm. Yeah, so going back to it's it's hard for me to consider fighters, you know, martial artists. Martial artists to me ha- has that close tie to lineage. Whereas when you when you start MMA to learn everything, you're learning it so condensed and so quickly. It's like me being a mutt, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to find parallels. Uh, it's. I think it's difficult to understand where these arts came from, you know, to really have that high level of respect of where this information is coming from. And I'm not saying MMA fighters don't, but there, there, there is a difference. A fighter fights, man. They're a competitor. A martial artist is not just there for themselves. It's, it, they're there for to be a good ambassador to uh, to the lineage, and that connection helps with that. So I think there is a distinction. I mean, there's no doubt there's a distinction. Um, some of the fighters I've trained are some of the best hardcore people I've ever you know, been around. But a lot of them I wouldn't consider martial artists. To me, their world revolves around fighting, and that's not what it's about. Your world should revolve around being a good ambassador and, and uh, you know, uplifting like whatever wherever the level of your art is it's, it's trying to lift it not um just cash in and i'm not saying anything against it. i think it's you know careerism i think is super important but i think there's something missing so uh you know what have i learned i mean i man i've learned how to fight from fighting fighters <laughs> you can't do that with a lot of martial artists so i'll just go on the other side of the spectrum some martial artists are so zoned in to be in a, a i'm a judo guy and I, that never made sense to me. A lot of the judo people that I trained with back in the day, like San Jose State, never learned jiu-jitsu, for example. And I think culturally judo um, is like, well, no, we don't do jiu-jitsu, we do judo. And their mentality is, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Whereas I think the jack of all trades makes you a master. But I think having a lineage is, is, is important, too. Like, I think all of it is important. Uh, I came from judo that taught me to be a martial artist, and then I learned everything else. Um, so, um, so I mean, what's your take then on, say, Conor McGregor switching disciplines, you know, and taking on Floyd Mayweather? I think it's all. Awesome. I mean, is that something you would consider? I mean, because you've, you've got a history of switching the disciplines, but could yep. you teach yourself to strike? you know, like to boxer level pretty quickly, do you think? No, gosh, no, no. Jack of all trades outside of judo and jujitsu. That's what I am. (laughs) Because, because like I did judo and you know, you destroy your body. Like 
I did judo until I was 19. Then I did jiu-jitsu and judo. Got my black belt in both. And then I'm like, I had the decision, do you want to fight or do you want to teach? I'm like, I just want to teach. I, I, I lost the, I don't know, craziness of wanting to compete. So once that goes away, all I did was, all right, learn to strike, learn to wrestle. And I could strike with, you know, I was, I was sparring with the top fighters in my weight at AKA. That was not a problem. Like, I, I was fast. I learned how to strike pretty good. I worked with Javier Mendez, who's phenomenal. You know, th- what? that wasn't a problem. Uh, and I could wrestle a bit. But you put me in a wrestling competition, I'm going to get destroyed. But then if you change the rule a little bit and say, okay, you know, give me a wrestler and I can do submissions. Well, I'll destroy him. Like, for example, when I first rolled with Koscheck without the gi, I just took my gi. He goes, you want to roll? I go, yeah. I was like 27 years old at AKA. I, you know, I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was a wrestler. I'm like, yeah. So I submitted him over and over and over and over. Why? Because I'm grappling. You're wrestling. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, so I don't even need to be the best submission guy in the world. I just now I have that as an option. So, for example, if, if McGregor fought Mayweather, I mean, this is like saying, you know, the earth is round. You know what I mean? Like, he would he would destroy Mayweather. Um, he would play with Mayweather. I think Ronda Rousey would beat them if they were in a bar. You know what I mean? And there was a fight. She would grab him, Mayweather, throw him to the ground and armbar him. You know, yeah, it's possible he, he he would punch her too, but like in close quarters like that with, with clothes on, McGregor could go with, you know, underwear on, <laughs> with nothing on. with and, and Mayweather could like douse himself with, you know, that stuff you put on to make yourself super slick. And, and McGregor would still take him down and destroy him. So if you just change the rules slightly, it gives the jack of all trades a huge advantage. And that's a good example of articulating what a jack of all trades gives somebody. The mentality of, like, I think it's important to master a certain area. Like, I mastered judo, if you, if you want to call it that. And it made it an easy transition to jiu-jitsu. Like, I don't believe in 10,000 hours. I think it's, it's, there's so many flaws with it, with uh, that mentality of 10,000 hours to master. Uh, but uh, you change the rules a little bit, a jack of all trades is going to destroy you. And in reality, we don't, in real world situations, it's not restricted rules. It's what can you create? You know what I mean? Some of the most successful business people are masters at being a jack of all trades. So what do I think of Conor McGregor and Mayweather? It's a boxing match. It's not a fight. And I think it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely outstanding because I, I also respect the careers in, involved. In my opinion, McGregor already won because he got the hundred million. You know what I mean? It's a nice payday. Um, and who would you put? Who are you putting your money on? Um, I would like to see McGregor win. I, you know, why? Be- just to mix it up. You know, I used to not be a McGregor fan, and now I am. I'll be honest. Like, I'll go on record as a McGregor fan. Uh, I, I am too. I mean, I feel like he actually goes out to challenge himself, where Mayweather seems to have been ducking recently. He likes the celebrity life of it, but not the actual work to earn it. Yeah, no, exactly. And someone was telling me, like, they were talking about that uh, Demetrius being the greatest of all time. And I'm like, no, he's not. Not the greatest of all time. 
You know, you can say he's only he's restricting himself to one weight category. Well, that just doesn't do it anymore. What is what is the UFC? UFC is a business. You know, and what is the business going to do? It's going to do whatever it takes to grow. Well, McGregor was perfect for the UFC because he'll fight anybody. He fights up, he fights down, he fights middle, he wins, and then now he's fighting in boxing. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's 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 unbelievable. And I'm used to be a purist and not the end of it. Now I'm all for it. And people just, I mean, people I really, who don't like him, I think, are just crying. They're just, I don't know. <laughs> goes back to re- it's funny how many fighters are like actually overly sensitive. <laughs> you hear them complaining a lot. I mean, I really like the way that you put it because I used to always say to people, "Is have many strings to your bow. You know, never stop learning, never stop pushing yourself and trying different things." And I really like the way you explained, you know, the jack of all trade versus somebody who's very, you know, like a master of one thing and how they could get beaten by just changing the rules or changing the d- dynamics. Um, I mean, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I'm definitely going to have you on again. But what do you want people listening to this to take away from it? Uh, I think step outside your comfort zone, man. This is kind of doing a 180 or a 360 with this podcast. is, And I don't mean to sound, you know, so set in my ways in terms of how I – I mean, I look at people in terms of their skill, not their skin color, not their the way they talk. What's your skill? Because a skill is a representation of enduring because everything is a pro- – when you develop a skill, it's a process. It's an enduring process. And immediately when I look at someone who has high skill in, in, in many areas, that person isn't afraid to suffer. I have trouble relating to people that are afraid to suffer. And so if you feel a lot of like putting on the brakes oh, to trying something new or jujitsu, step outside your comfort zone. Make it happen and the world around you will change. The world around you will absolutely change because you changed. I would like to avoid saying it, but, you know, they'll reach the next level at that point. (laughs) (laughs) And, for you know, you'll have made a legion of new fans here, but um, how can people keep in touch with you? You know, how can they find out more about yourself, Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu, about, you know, can they come to the gym? Can they go online and learn, you know? how, How can we see what's next and how, you know, your projects and what you do next? Well, I'm doing all kinds of things. We're, I'm actually going to be traveling to New Zealand, Australia. We're setting up uh, affiliates over there, Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu affiliates over there. Um, I tend to travel a lot, but uh, I would love to travel uh, anywhere in Europe. So if somebody has interest setting up seminars, I would absolutely adore going anywhere. I just I love tra- traveling. To me, is the greatest perk of of my life and career. You can reach me. You find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at Dave Camarillo. Uh, you can probably message me through there, um, Facebook and all that stuff, Twitter. Um, yeah, there it is. And what's the, the Gorilla homepage? It's GorillaJJ.com, but it's Gorilla spelled like you're a warrior in the in the woods waiting to stomp on somebody. It's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A-J-J.com. 
Well, I'll include all the links on you know, your social media. And for um, those who travel, come visit me. Come train at my school. Shoot me a, a message. Let me know you're coming. I'll, I'll just I'll comp you guys. If you're if you're out of the country, come in. Uh, you know, have some fun. We'll we'll get together. Well, what I could do is I can speak to some people in Glasgow if you'd be interested and see if there's anybody that could put on a session, you know, and you could come over to Scotland and, you know, we could maybe do round two. Oh, dude, I would love to. I I used to watch a lot of football. I was a Celtic fan. <laughs> uh, well, we could maybe even take you to a game if you come over. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I, I, can't, I can't promise it'll be very good, but, you know. Well, because well, uh, the Rangers got regulated or whatever, right? Well, I don't even know what's well, going on with that. They're back up now, but um, okay. they started as a new company, so they lost a lot of the players. So it's a lot more homemade players now, rather than just buying the talent in. Yeah, this so, is, when I was in Australia, when when Kane fought Nogueira, and, and I was watching the Rangers Celtic game back in that day, right, like six whatever years ago, it was the most exciting game I've ever seen in my life. That kind of rivalry was just absolutely. I was an instant fan of of Celtic, and they won three nil. So anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I grew up as a Rangers fan, so... Oh, sorry, buddy. Sorry, sorry. No, well, we could definitely get something interesting. I'm sure that there'd be, you know, some massive hype for it. Well, I better let you go. I mean, I've almost been on taking up an hour and a half of your time, but, you know, this has generally been one of the best interviews I've ever had. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, Oh, thank you. I'm sure you'll get a lot of fans from this, and um, we'll definitely set something up again for the future. Awesome. Very, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life. <laughs>